It's the early 1900s and one quiet woman lives a happy life with her happy husband on a beautiful farm in Iowa. All is as it should be until a single act of betrayal puts her at odds against everyone she knows and trusts. That woman's name is Margaret Stewart. The book is Remembering Laughter and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! This is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you today? I'm doing well. Um, oh, as good. good looking out the window and seeing how bright and sunny it is. Yeah, that improves the Having mood. been out there, but you know, mm-hmm. how about for you? <laughs> I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you been out? Yeah, just, yes, I went running this morning and, you know, I've been out running errands and it's hot out there, which is cool. You know, it's, it really is summer. How's, uh, how was your weekend? <laughs> My weekend, look, every day is the same day. You know, I thought yesterday was (laughs) Thursday, so every day is the same day. (laughs) Alexis. Yeah. (laughs) I got some exciting news. I love exciting news. (laughs) What is it? This show, we are introducing a new segment, Society Says, where we share the comments we receive from listeners with the rest, with the entire listener base, all of our lit society. Um, So we've been on. Uh, not on the air. <laughs> this is not a radio show. <laughs> Get it together. I've had a hibarito and Puerto Rican rice and I'm ready for bed. <laughs> it's like three in the afternoon. Right. Moving on. So, um, you know, we've been um, releasing episodes every week since January. And fortunately for us, people are actually listening. Are you surprised people are listening to our I'm show? I'm excited people are listening to our <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it really, uh, you know, yeah, it pumps us up because we I mean, we do it because it's fun and we love to read books. But the right. fact that um, we're having conversations um, out, you know, offline and online with other book lovers and there's like a community growing around this show. We really love that. So we want to read some of the comments we've received um, and we're going to choose Apple from Apple Podcasts this episode. So, Alexis, is there a comment that you thought was particularly lit from Apple Podcasts? This is from Biblio Brown, and it's about our review of Anna Karenina. Biblio (laughs) Brown said, it's absolutely brilliant. I have wanted to read this for a while, but as mentioned, it's long. So grateful for these ladies. I am enjoying the review. I'm learning a ton, and their voices, humor, and laughter are a breath of fresh air. I am hooked. Thank you, Biblio. That's one of my favorite. It's two parts, Anna Karenina. That's one of my favorite uh, two-part episodes or one of my favorite episodes. I did enjoy that book. I still think about it. Okay. And so what review are you (laughs) going to read? I'm interested. I'm stealing two, one from Apple Podcasts. And this comes from uh, Cam and Jammin. And this is for our review, our deep dive of Charlotte's Web. Cam and Jammin says, I love this book and hope you do another quote unquote baby book. I think that your podcast is awesome. I would recommend it for somebody who likes to read but doesn't always have time. So I think all kinds of people should listen. I'm only eight and you make me laugh a lot. (laughs) 
Thank you. First of all, Cam and Jamit, you are a little baby genius. You speak with so much, um, you know, like, what am I? Tra- Obviously, you speak better than me. Go ahead, Cam and Jamit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show. All right, that's awesome. Remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we might be able to read your review on the show. All right, you ready for the theme of the week? Let's move on. Every week, readers, each week, we choose a theme to discuss based on the book we're reading. And that's what we're going to do today, too. So the theme this week is the healing power of forgiveness. Mm. Ooh, forgiveness. It's like a dirty word sometimes. Um, Yeah, people hate thinking of forgiveness. It's almost seen as a weakness to forgive. Have you ever had to forgive anyone? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think we all have. And plenty of people have had to forgive me, so. Ditto. So, um, yeah, I think I've been on the receiving end of your forgiveness a few times. And that (laughs) encourages me to forgive others. Well, let's get into it. So the healing power of forgiveness. First of all, what even is forgiveness? What is forgiveness, would you say, Alexis? Oh, that's a good question. That is, can I articulate that? I don't know. It is showing someone else grace or oh I like um, that I don't know how to describe that yeah I mean a lot of times you hear I don't want to forgive because I'm never going to forget what you did or you know just some some things that we say show that we don't really understand what forgiveness even is one reference where uh, defines it this way which I thought was beautiful forgiveness means pardoning an offender and letting go of anger resentment and thoughts of revenge (laughs) It does not mean condoning a wrong, minimizing it or pretending that it did not happen. Rather, forgiveness is a well thought out personal choice that reflects a loving commitment to peace and to building or maintaining a good relationship with the other person. That's a great definition, right? That is. I like that. And so it's not about what someone else does, whether they um, ask for your forgiveness or not. It's not about completely forgetting Uh, what someone has done to you, but it's about maintaining peace and letting go of anger, resentment, and thoughts of revenge. And it takes a lot of strength to do that. Forgiveness is a very courageous, um, uh, it's a very, you have to be a very strong-willed person to be able to forgive. I remember a time in my life when I was not. mm -hmm. So forgiveness has more to do with yourself than it does with the other person. It has actually nothing to do with the other person. Exactly. I remember a time in my life when I was not easily offended. There was almost nothing you could do to offend me. And I was just a lot uh, like freer then. That's where I I always want to get back to that place where I'm just not easily offended. And, you know, people can talk to you crazy, but they might be having a bad day (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you just let it go. I love that. That's that takes a strong character um, to be able to do that. And so uh, what we're briefly going to talk about, not only what forgiveness is, but why should we forgive and how do we forgive? Um, Is there anything that you can guess um, as far as what happens to us personally when we are not forgiving people? What are the ramifications of that choice? The choice Um, not to forgive. There's a bitterness that you hold inside and it can affect you um, mentally, physically. It's just not good not to forgive, to hold on to that bitterness. It's not good and it's not fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, I looked up some info from the Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins Medicine. um, And they also point out that being a person that holds grudges that doesn't forgive easily can lead to loneliness. Well, duh, because who want to hang around you and you hold on to everything they've ever done against you and bring it up all the time? 
don't nobody right. want to hang out with you. So you're going to be lonely. Um, you are going to continue being easily offended. Uh, loneliness can continue to depression. Uh, you can come become bitter inside. Um, it can affect you health wise, leading to heart disease, high blood pressure, even pain disorders such as arthritis or headaches. Um, all of this can come from being resentful, holding on to grudges, not being forgiven. I know somebody that that lost their hair um, because they were holding a grudge and the other person didn't even know they were upset. Somebody came in and took all their wigs. See, all their weaves and wigs because they and like, these are all things that are happening to us. So holding on to this grudge, which is eating ourselves up. It's doing nothing to the other person who may have done something wrong to us. They just out there living their life. Meanwhile, we bitter, angry and losing our weave according to Alexis. And don't nobody want to deal with that. So, but what are the benefits of forgiving? Can you guess? A peacefulness. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. When I forgive, when I'm able to forgive and when I have forgiven, I have peace. I feel good. I can go on about my life. Nothing to hinder me from being happy or successful. It doesn't br um, bring me down. So what? how do you forgive then? What, how did you get to the point where you were forgiving someone else and what did you do after deciding to forgive? What did I do after? I I just, you know, I had to. So I think of um, a person that I had to forgive. I had to decide to let go of what was happening, just kind of disconnect myself from that um, and just leave it behind because it was out of my hands. They said what they said. They've done what they've done. Mm. They're not ready to apologize for anything so I have to make the peace within myself or find um, the place within myself to say that nothing that they do anymore or say to me is going to affect impact me negatively. And so I just let it go and, and walk away from it. And it doesn't mean that I don't speak to that person when I see them, because I do. Um, I will speak to them. I'll have a conversation with them, but I, I just don't have that thing that's between us, that stone, that brick, that wall. What was the difference in your behavior from the point where you were um, ho holding on, rightfully holding on to some hurt that they caused you and the point when you said, I'm going to let go of this hurt and any anger also associated with it and forgive them? How did you know you were being forgiven if you and that person never had a like a moment where you talked it out and they admit it wrong? And it's easier to forgive is what I'm trying to say when that person comes to you and is like, I've wronged you. You know, I did something that wasn't cool and I just want to say sorry. Sorry is yeah. like a huge word because it can alleviate. I remember my mom said something to me. She was, um, you know, just speaking quickly and and it was a hurtful thing. But she said sorry almost immediately like she recognized it. And any type of hurt I would have had from what she said was immediately gone. It had evaporated from just her saying sorry and recognizing that because I have a million things that, you know, I'm sure I've said to her that could have caused her and she's forgiven me. So all of that came to mind when she said, sorry, when someone doesn't give you that opportunity, they don't open the door for your forgiveness. And you kind of got to like, you know, beat the door down yourself. <laughs> how, how do you know you're being forgiving? Because I, I so before I was holding that, um, it affected my sleep. I was consumed with thought over the resolution of it. And then, and I did talk to the person. Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, they don't feel like they did anything wrong. So and they was, was like, so? <laughs> essentially, that, uh. no, they saw it as me being the problem. Right. So I saw them as a the problem. They saw me as the problem. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't come to terms with that. So, but once I released that again, forgiveness is not about the other person. Um, it's about me and me releasing the baggage that holding on to the resentment and begrudging that person 
puts on me. So once I was able to forgive them, I didn't think about it anymore. I didn't hold on to those thoughts. I wasn't consumed with always thinking about what happened in my relationship with that person because I let it go. I like what you mentioned about our inner thoughts. Like you stopped you stopped nurturing negative feelings about that person. I think for me, that's the biggest thing. Um, I have to make myself stop thinking negatively about someone who I feel has wronged me. Either talk it out with that person in the hope that we can... Um, you know, come to peace again, have peace again between us, or even better, resolve it internally. Think of all the good this person has done for me, or even the good qualities. Maybe it has nothing to do with me, but this person has a lot of good qualities that I admire. Um, think about that. So as to put that person in a positive light in my mind, so I don't harbor resentment, and then I can forgive them um, by focusing on what's good about them. And truthfully, a, a lot of people in our life have a lot of good qualities. It's just people can quickly say or do things that hurt us and they may mm -hmm. not always feel sorry about it. Then there are bigger things to forgive. Um, and we've talked about this before, um, violence towards us or even abuse of some sort. Do you have to forgive people who inflict those acts on you? Um, you don't have to, but I think it's necessary again for your mental well-being. Mental for and you. physical well-being. Yeah, like I said, yeah. it's not about the other person. That's hard. It is, but yeah. you can do it. It's, it's doable. One reference I found asked is forgiving others mean, and I can also give you these re references, uh, readers, if you want, just email us, ask us at litsocietypod.com. But it asks, does forgiving others mean that we must actually forget what happened? No, um, forgiving fellow humans does not necessarily mean that we'll be unable to recall what they did. We can forget in the sense that we don't hold it against the offender. We're not bringing it up every time we see them. Um, you know, when the matter is settled, it's settled. We don't talk about it with other people, gossiping about the person who hurt us at one time. We ain't doing none of that. We haven't forgotten, but we're going to move on and maintain peace. So the last question, how do we forgive? Um, we do all we can to make and maintain peace between us and the offender. And um, again, that is for our benefit more than anything, but it, it requires a lot of uh, like self-discipline. So, um, and then I wanted to talk about forgiving yourself. We've discussed this before too, I think, but um, oftentimes the person that's hardest to forgive is ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. you can say or do something to somebody and it just keep you up at night. You'd be like, dang, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and, and maybe and that, that person has forgiven you. Is it keeping you up at night because you haven't um, gone to them and had a conversation about it? I can personally say for me, it might just be embarrassment. Maybe a conversation has been had or doesn't even need to be had. The worst thing is to offend someone who forgives you quickly. <laughs> that just make you feel like dirt. <laughs> mm. Like, man, I did this to you and look how kind you are to me consistently. How could I have done this? So um, and then we can make mistakes in our life that have um, negative effects on other people. You know, mm -hmm. maybe we made a bad choice and that bad choice affected others negatively. And we're like, man, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm I, it's, it can be hard. You can just replay the scene over and over in your head, um, condemning yourself again and keeping that wound raw. Um, but it's important not to expect perfection from ourselves. Realistically, we have to accept ourselves. Just we have to be our own best friend. And just like you would with a close friend, look for ways to forgive them. Look for ways to forgive yourself after you've corrected uh, whatever error has mm -hmm. occurred. Yeah. Don't be forgiving yourself too quickly if you like still out here, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> running amok. But after you, you done running right amok and like, man, I was running amok. Then forgive yourself after you just stop. <laughs> 
you know, learn from your el- el- uh, errors. I was going to say your elders. Yeah, That's learn from your elders too. <laughs> what if you can't learn nothing from your elders? <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh-huh. also be patient with yourself. Chill out. You know, bad habits don't go away overnight. Keep working with yourself. We are all ongoing projects. You you never wake up one day and are like, you know, I'm done. I am exactly who I want to be. And if I just stay like this forever, it'll be great. No, nah, you always improving on yourself. Exactly. I wake up every morning. I feel like with a list of problems that I have with myself. So that ain't no good. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yup. <laughs> <laughs> it's not useful to nobody. No. And then um lastly, uh if you do cause offense to someone, and this is important, you may not see what you did as wrong, but if someone comes to you and says, You hurt me by doing this, this, and this, acknowledge their um feelings, respect their vulnerability. It takes a lot to be vulnerable in, in front of someone. And even if you do not agree, take responsibility and apologize. So you that, might not feel what you did. Go ahead. Is that like, uh, I'm sorry you felt that way. Shoot. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst thing you could say. But, you know, maybe Alexis hits me in the eye, but she always hit people in the eye and no one else had a problem with it. And so I'm like, Alexis, you know, you hit me in my eye. And I'm like sensitive about that. I hate when people punch me in the eye. She can then be like, you know what? I didn't know that about you. This is something I always do. And I recognize that in order to um, show my, well, she loved me. So (laughs) in order to show my love for you, (laughs) I ain't going to do that with you. And I, and thank you for coming to me and telling me how you feel. Acknowledge people's vulnerability. You know, you can you cannot agree with how they feel about something and the fact that you wouldn't have felt that way if you were in their shoes. Right. But just say, you know, thank you for coming to me, for taking the time, caring enough about our relationship to tell me how you felt. And then, you know what? I'm going to act accordingly in the future so as to not hurt you. I'm sorry for having hurt you. Now, she ain't got to say she's sorry for hitting me in the eye because that's just what she do. But this time she hurt me and that's what she's sorry for. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness. Can you oh. imagine? Oh, sign me. Get it, anyway, get it, get um, it. Anything oh, else no, you okay. say about forgiveness? <laughs> oh, I did have a thought, but I think I said too much already. So now I'm, I'm, I don't remember what the thought was. Well, so there you go. Forgiveness. And if you don't forgive people, you can waste decades and decades of your life and end up looking older than you are. And that's real. And that's back to our book. So let's take a break and get into remembering laughter. Let's do that. Is that cool? You ready for a break? All right, here we go. Can you tell us a little about the author of Remembering Laughter and perhaps his inspiration for this book? Got you. I got you. Okay. (laughs) So Wallace Earl Stegner was born February 18th, 1908 in Lake Mills, Iowa. Okay. He was in Iowa. He died from injuries of a car accident that he had in March. He died in April um, 1993. He was like 80 something. Oh, wow. He wrote fiction and historical nonfiction um, set mainly in the Western United States. 
All of his writings explore a deep sense of the American experience and potential, which he termed the geography of promise. And that was what the West symbolizes. He grew up, though, in Saskatchewan, Canada, and in several Western states. He has an MA and a PhD from the University of Iowa. He taught for several schools, including the University of Wisconsin, Harvard University, and Stanford University, where he directed the creative writing program. Remembering Laughter is his first novel. His first critical and popular success was Rock Candy Mountain, about a family moving from place to place in the West seeking fortune. He won a Pulitzer Prize for Angle of Repose in 1971, and he also won a National Book Award in 1977 for his book, The Spectator Bird. And that came with money, right? Yeah, one of them. Yeah. I think they both do. His nonfiction includes two histories of the Mormon settlement of Utah and a history of the early years of oil drilling in the Middle East. Oh, I would love to read that. The Middle East one. The Middle East one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking, too, that that would be um, really interesting to read about. He also wrote a book of essays that was published in 1992. After being out of print for 60 years, the book that we're reading today, Remembering Laughter, was returned to print in 1996. So uh, just a little bit more about the book. You know, this is one of those books that start off with. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, How did you choose this? <laughs> I don't know if we're getting into that yet, but, I, I, you know, give me a second. This is one of those books that start off with all characters and incidents. In this novelette are purely fictitious. Now, those always make me laugh because I believe they're about somebody in real life. I'm just well, no, this that. is about his wife's aunt. This is like a story he created so, around. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> can, can I tell this story? Can I tell? Can I tell my story? I'm sorry. I'm on the edge of my seat. Go ahead, girl. So, so <laughs> in 1936, when Wallace was an English instructor at the University of Utah, he saw an announcement from a little brown um Little Brown and Company Novelette Prize. So there was an announcement about a novelette prize. And at the time, he had only published two stories for magazines. And he um, ended up writing about a story that he heard from his wife. His wife has a, a family account of two gaunt aunts who live with their son in western Iowa. And as a young girl, his wife wasn't sure whether the um, child was the son of the older widowed sister or the younger spinster sister. But that didn't matter. That didn't matter to Wallace. <laughs> he used that little bit of information and created Remembering Laughter. And in 1931, um, excuse me, in 1937, January 31, he learned that he won the prize. That prize was $2,500. That was a lot of money for that time period. So they threw like a big party. And that night after the celebration, his wife went into labor and they birthed their only son. So not only did that book get accepted and he won a prize for $2,500, they had their child on January 31st. So, But I still do believe there's some little tidbits in there because that's what it's all about. All right. Thank you. Now, can you please give us a brief synopsis of the book without spoilers? <laughs> You know, I think I do this part the best. One-liners, okay? No spoilers. <laughs> After the death of their father in Scotland, Margaret excitedly welcomes her sister to come live with her and her husband in Iowa, period. Kari, what are your first thoughts on this book? What? 
So my first thought was, great. This book is super short. It is a very long <laughs> pamphlet and I'm ready for it. <laughs> so um, also, um, as I really like started the book within the first few chapters, I was like, wow, this is the um, uh, whitest piece of literature I've <laughs> ever read in my life. I don't know how Alexis chose this book or why I would want to read it, but I guess I have to. And that was my first thoughts. Also, it starts with a racist joke. And I was really done. That's like in chapter one. So that's my thoughts. Um, what about you, Alexis? What were your first thoughts about remembering laughter? Maybe you'll tell us how you chose this book because it is a mystery. So one night I had went to the library, you see, and of I was course, just kind of wandering of around the library, going through the different yeah, and some librarian got you. <laughs> and I was just looking at books on the <laughs> shelf. And I said, that one right there. <laughs> I picked it up and I read the back and I said, well, I'll give it a try. We'll see. That's it. Because <laughs> it was so thin. I said, this is a great thin book. Let's get into it. Let's see how it goes. This must have been when we was reading Anna Karenina. No, the library was like, wasn't I can't even do this open again. then. This is months ago. Oh, Back when we right? could be oh. out and so, about in public. So why did you choose it just by look? Like, how did you judge this book on its cover? So I thought I had never read anything like this before. <laughs> And I figured, <laughs> well, I don't think that would hurt if I gave this a shot. I mean, why not? So, okay. old book and why not? So there was no reason behind it. Got it. <laughs> Had you heard of the author before? No, nothing. I was just browsing <laughs> through the library and I used my finger and I said, that book. Okay. <laughs> and I read the back a little bit and I said, I don't know. Okay, well, great. We'll, we'll give it a try. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. And now with that information behind us, are you ready for a spoiler filled deep dive into remembering laughter? Let me just jump in with the prologue a little bit. So old Mrs. Margaret Stewart is sitting in a parlor staring out the window. Wait, across why the you say old Mrs.? She like young. Why you refuse to let me tell my story? I'm sorry. Go ahead. She young. She like mid thirties. She ain't young, <laughs> but you know. All right. Go ahead, girl. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, let me restart I'm sorry. That. Please forgive me for having offended you by encroaching upon your deep dive. Thank you. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> All right. Okay. She's looking out the window across the field. She um, is expected many guests, but she wasn't waiting for nobody. Her body is that of a woman of 60. Her eyes of the woman of 30, but she is only 47, y'all. Elspat was 40. And she was Margaret's sister. They look like twins. They got the same hairstyle, the same high forehead, the same ice blue eyes. And they're both Scot Scottish. They're sisters, right? Okay. So most of the people that arrived um, were there. So the reverend was ready to start. Margaret said they should wait until 1130. Malcolm was in his room grieving. They were preparing for her husband's funeral. Part one. Margaret and Alec are at the station waiting for Elsap's train to ride. What's her name? Elspat. Margaret is excited for the ride Ellie? of her sister. That's not her name. Nowhere in this book do they call her Ellie. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Is that what you okay. called her as you read the book? It's, it's easier, setting. but that's fine. Go ahead. 
<laughs> okay. Again, she's excited for the arrival of her sister. Her husband notices this, uh, a friend um, over there. And it, maybe he's by a bar or something. His name is Alquist Henning. And he wants to go talk to him about um, working for him this summer. But Margaret notices that there's a, like a bar over there or something. So she's like, you're not going to go drinking, are you? I mean, my sister is coming and we don't want to receive her with you in a drunken state. So he kind of chuckles it off and is like, oh, no, I won't do that. And so they make their way back over to the train station. Wait, Elspeth (laughs) finally arrives (laughs) and they welcome her with warm arms. (laughs) Okay. And so they're here. And so now Alec is telling her stories, outrageous stories, because he's kind of a character. He likes to say fun things or whatever, you know. He's a joyful man. The sister is a little prim and proper. When Elspeth arrives, she notices that her sister's home is more like an estate than a farm. Um, so Margaret takes Elspeth into this parlor that's off the main hall. Elspeth sees this room as formal and gloomy. Even the couch in that room is hard. It's um, um, Margaret says, no, that's just a company parlor. Um, I keep the shades down so the sun won't fade the carpet. But Elspeth notices something um as her sister is talking about her father's death, there's something about this room um, that matches something in her sister. And it's, she said it's it's almost prim, starch, stiff, formal, dignified, haughtier, but not her sister, but still kind of her sister. She said it's not the real Margaret, but it's like, like a shell it's a, she puts up for everyone yeah. else. Mm-hmm, like a layer. The room kind of represents Margaret right now because Margaret is being... Yeah, she's like decoration right now for everyone else's enjoyment, but it's not who she really is. Just like that room has no comfort in it. It's no realness in it. It's just decoration. Yeah. And so Elspeth says the rest of the house, that's Margaret. But this room right here is something about it. But that's not Margaret. But really, Margaret truly is a shell of a person. So Alec and Margaret spend the next week showing Elspeth around the farm. One day as they were um, showing Elspeth around, Henning Alquist, the guy that he said he saw while they were waiting on the train, showed up looking for work. Alquist had sold his farm and sent his family back to Norway. He wanted to work. um, He wanted to work long enough to pay off some debts so then he could then rejoin his family in um, Norway. So Alex said he could come and work with him and then stay with them. Well, Elspeth asked Alquist why he wants to leave. And he said, I'm a sailor. I'm a fisherman. And I just don't like this country. And he had been there for four years already. So at this point, he's um, really homesick. And so Elspeth is kind of drawn to him. So she um, she speaks to him regularly. She can feel his loneliness. She even pities him. She sees him as um, unhappy and, as I mentioned, homesick. And, and she seems to understand this. So when she walks around the property, she talks to Alquist. She chats with him. She'll um, chat with him while he's doing his work or he'll pause and chat with her and they'll have a little conversation. And then um He'll just get back to work. Well, one day she was returning from um, one of her walks and her sister told her that she's been spending too much time with Alquist because he's only a hired man and she has a certain position that she needs to keep. And people might talk, so she needs to, you know, kind of keep her distance. And this kind of offends Elspeth because she doesn't, well, she doesn't feel like her sister feels this way. It's just, again, like that, um, that layer that her sister is putting outward, that she is this, I think the book called her. Um, it's about what other people see. 
Yeah. Yeah. And this really reminded me of um, uh, Alexei and um, Anna Karenina. It reminded me of Alexei because he was all about outward appearances. Anna Karenina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was all about outward appearances. And she seems to have that same mm-hmm. um, um, idea. Yeah. And he was a little cold, too. And Margaret seems to be a little cold and prudish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So her sister reminded her that he was a married man whose life, uh, whose wife was away and people might talk. So we want to avoid that at all costs. So Elsa kind of complied, uh, complied with what her sister said. She saw less of Alquist and invested her time in learning more about the farm. As Margaret and Alec um, watched Elspeth walking down the lane leading to the main road, Margaret was like, she's lonely. She needs people her own age, boys in particular. She's at a prime age where she should be falling in love. Alex was like, Alec was like, give her time. She'll find someone. But he agreed to let Margaret throw a party, which would um, Wait, allow her. She's to- like watching the hens and the roosters mate. She, her friends, her associates are like the farm animals. <laughs> and she starts reprimanding the hens when they allow the rooster to mate with them. <laughs> and her sister is secretly looking on from the window thinking, oh, she need friends. <laughs> she need more than so, these yeah. hens. Yeah. Because she was too involved in their life. Yeah. She was being a busybody in their life. And yeah, in the animal's business. <laughs> in their right. business. Yeah, in their business. So they're going to throw this party. Okay. Part three, the day of the party is sweltering hot outside. Margaret wanted to be the party to be a surprise for Elspeth. So Alec offered to take Elspeth for a walk, but the um, by the creek after lunch and then keep her there until it was just about time for dinner. So the only thing she'd have time to do was get dressed. OK, so on this walk, they come across a stream and Elspeth said it looked inviting and said, wouldn't it be nice to come down bathing sometime? Alec told her he swam in there quite often, but Margot, that's Margaret, didn't approve because she was afraid someone would see him. Elspeth said, don't you wear a suit? And Alec was like, swimming in a suit is like swimming in armor. This embarrassed Elspeth. She thought it was odd to mention his nakedness without Margaret present. And Alec was like, well, Margaret, doesn't understand me. She don't like when I be telling lies, i.e. jokes. She don't like me drinking. She don't like me swimming naked. She don't like me when I have fun, essentially. (laughs) So when Elspeth thought to herself, she said, hmm, I understand him. And I understand Alquist too. Hmm. Yeah. She thought Margaret was just a little too prim. And the thought gave her a feeling of satisfaction and tolerant motherly sympathy as she mm-hmm. looked at both Alquist and um, Alec at that moment. So continuing to walk, they saw cows. Alec imitated them. They're just having a grand old time because he's really lighthearted and fun to be around. And Elspeth asked if he could imitate anything else. So he's imitating turkeys and pigs. I mean, he, they're just having a good old time on this walk. Um, He even (laughs) caught a baby quail, which she would eventually keep as a pet. Um, As they played with the quail, Alex, Alec stared at her and it kind of made her feel uncomfortable. Um, And so she said, let's go back to the house. Awkward. Right. 
So when they arrive at the house, her sister tells her, um, the minister's coming for dinner. You'll want to look your best. He's a bachelor. He's a fine young man. Alec looked guiltily um, at his wife because, you know, he was feeling some type of way. And so now he like Ooh, about his sister-in-law. So she looked almost as young. Mm-hmm. And his wife, he said, looked almost as young and as pretty as Elspeth. Okay. <laughs> Margaret had 14 guests coming and many bachelors for Elspeth to choose from. But Margaret had identified the minister as the ideal companion for her sister. She wasn't playing matchmaker, but there was a few that she had in mind and it was the minister. Margaret noticed her husband yeah. was getting restless. He was rebellious and fidgety. And that usually led to him having a drinking bout. So she was kind of paying attention to him. And so knowing that some of the guests there would be drinkers, she started to be concerned about the wisdom of actually throwing this party. Elfa, Elspat, Elspat, oh, I, I don't know this woman's name. Okay. Elspat found the guests amiable. She enjoyed it. But during the dinner, she would notice that Alec was staring at her awkwardly. When she would look up, he'd be looking at her while they having dinner. You know, she noticed it. Once she got a little more relaxed with the single folks, they started playing games. Um, so they were playing going to Jerusalem, which I think was musical chairs. Kari, do you think that was musical chairs? Uh, maybe. Yeah, to some gospel song. <laughs> and then um, another game called Post Office, which was a kissing game. Um, of course, the minister didn't approve of the kissing game, but he didn't want to censor what was happening at the house of his host. So they played anyway. And I, it sounded like Alec wanted to kick it off with his wife. But she was like, no, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to play that with you. <laughs> not in a public. So Alec seemed to play anyway. I guess that means he was kissing other people. In front of people. <laughs> and it was scandalous that they even wanted to play in front of the minister. Yeah, Scandalous. <laughs> anyway, Margaret then gets up mm. and she I think that was her way of trying to break out, stop them from playing the kissing game. So she gets up and plays the piano and then everybody starts dancing and singing so they can have that fun. So the minister got to dance with Elspeth. Then one of the young ladies um, who wanted to show off their <laughs> talents comes and takes over the piano playing from uh, Margaret. And then Margaret then starts to look for her husband, but she doesn't see him anywhere. Um, she noticed that a couple other the guests are missing too, the ones she knew that was drinkers. And so she's thinking like, oh, my husband is out drinking, darn it all. By 11, he still hadn't returned. And so Margaret was beginning to feel uneasy. She knew her husband was getting ready to come in um, drunk. Mm -hmm. So she asked um, Elspeth if she had seen Alec. And Elspeth said, not for almost an hour. He went out somewhere. He didn't seem to like dancing much. But Margaret is like, but he loves dancing. What do you mean? So she asked Ellie, Ellie look at you. She asked Ellie to go sit with the minister while she goes out to find Alec. Well, Elspeth doesn't want to go sit with the minister. So she says, no, you stay and you talk to the minister. I need a breath of fresh air. I'm going to go look for Alec. And so she heads towards the barn to look for Alec. She's outside looking for Alec. She sees Alquist, um, Alec, and then a couple of the twins that were invited, uh, a couple of the other guests that were invited to the party, and they're enjoying a bottle in the barn. She goes in and tells Alec, Margaret wants you to come back to the house. 
He's like, okay, bye y'all. I'm going back to the house. Him and Elspeth head um, back to the house, but Elspeth had an opportunity to um, listen to them and see them before they, um, before she actually, they saw her. So she felt like she was spying on them. So she felt uncomfortable with that. But then um, as they head him back to the house, Alec, Elspeth tells Alec that Margot thought she was drinking. And he said, I was drinking. And Elspeth asks why, like, why are you drinking? And she was thinking that he had left um, the party so abruptly because it had something to do with her. So he turns her around to face him. And she tells him, she tells, he tells her he couldn't stand the way the men were looking at her. It was like she was on display and they were taking bids. He said that he would have smashed the preachers. Okay, can we pause Mm -hmm. here? I was just going to ask you, what are you thinking of Alec up to this moment? What am I thinking of Alec up to this moment? Um, That maybe he's pretty selfish. Oh, okay. Did you have any inclination that something wasn't right about his feelings for his sister-in-law? Yeah, when he came in the kitchen after their first walk and he felt guilty, I did. What about when there's a part where the little sister is angry about something? Now she's a little sister, but she's in her early 20s. Mm -hmm. And he tells his wife she's so cute when she's angry. The sister, he's telling his wife, your sister is so cute when she's angry. I didn't think anything of that. Because at that point, I felt like they were still just being family. Your sister is so cute. Yeah. (laughs) She's angry. But that covers the mind. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. He turns her around to face him and tells her he couldn't stand them looking at her. It was like she was on display and they were taking bids. And he said he would have smashed the preacher's prissy little face if he had met, uh, stayed a moment longer. So he did jet because of, he was having feelings for Elspeth. So they kissed. He kissed Elspeth right out there, right outside, y'all, right outside. He kissed her and he told her that he had been waiting to do kiss. that. Mm-hmm. For, for a month mm-hmm. gasp <laughs> then he tells her Margaret she wanted only to been have there like parties. a month and a half exactly <laughs> he Margaret was ready to cheat out the gate to... mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, no I don't think he was Ooh, that okay. does, but it was pretty quickly it was pretty quick mm-hmm. yeah we'll get to that then he tells her Margaret wanted to have this party so you could get yourself a man and he was like, oh, Alec. That's what Elspeth was like. Oh, <laughs> poor Margaret. Poor me. Poor you. Part four. The next morning, the next morning, she stayed in bed trying to convince herself that the kiss from Alec was because he was drinking whiskey and she was filled with merriment because of the party. And of course, the kissing game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, so Elspeth had no appetite and she was filled with gift, guilt for having kissed her hus- her sister's husband. Ooh. And she should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so she decided she was going to go tell Alec and let him know she was sorry. And yesterday's moment was absolutely foolish. OK, that was foolish. But when she came in, Alec avoided her eyes. And it was like three days before they had a moment to talk again. So she told him it was foolish when she did talk to him. This is foolish. Alec said, you know what? You faking. (laughs) And I meant what I said. I said what I said. I wanted to kiss you for a month. Okay. Oh, my God. And there's no use hiding it. 
and putting your head in the sand. Uh, Alice was like, oh, no. Oh. And she ran to the barn. And Alex followed her and held her and kissed her. Betrayed by her feelings, Elspeth focused on not being alone with Alec or Alquist. So she was just going to be chaperoned in any of her engagement with these two men. Soon, she was able to return to this relaxed and joyful self with Alec in Margaret's presence, whereas before she couldn't even speak to him when they were, in, when they were together. Okay? But that left her when they were alone. So she threw herself into like cooking food now. So now she's going to be doing some hard work and just, you know, focus on something else. So she's going to work hard in the fields and she's going to cook food for the men. And she's like breaking her back doing the man's work. And so when Margaret said she is out here killing herself doing man's work, Alec was like, she doing what she know best. She he said she knew best what she wanted to do, period. The minister called on her twice. Remember, they had the party. And so now the minister is like, mm, and the cute. minister is like dry and awkward. You know, it's unclear if he even has emotions. Uh, he is just, <laughs> you know, he's not someone anyone would want to be attracted to in that way. And you definitely don't want him attracted to you. So he keep coming around and talking to her for hours in that stiff little parlor room. That's like, you know, code for who Margaret is and everything about it is fake uh pompous boring and you know who he reminds me of from pride and prejudice from pride and prejudice (laughs) yeah yes what's his name mr Mm -hmm. collins yes mr collins (laughs) yeah he's a mr collins type Mm -hmm. who was also a a clergyman Yep, he was. Mm-hmm. So she felt like it was torture to spend this time with him because he was like boring. And then another time he called on her. She saw him coming. She had been working in the fields and she came up to the house and she was like, oh, God, it's him. <laughs> and she stole his buggy and went for a ride. She was like, let him entertain Margaret because I ain't trying <laughs> to talk to him. She stole his horse. He came outside with, with his mouth open like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she drove by on that horse waving at both him and her sister like yep. waffles. Mm. <laughs> and when she came back, they were standing in the perch like, where you been? <laughs> she was like, oh, I thought you came to see Margaret. I didn't know you was here for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. The minister said, listen, honey, you shouldn't try to work in a field like a man, Miss McLeod. Farm girls, yes, but not you. You're not a farm girl. You're a young lady. You should grace a parlor and lighten a good man's home. Elspeth said, I like working like a man. It's good fun. You ought to try it sometime. Mm. The minister was insulted. (laughs) That was a diss. Big diss. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So. Next thing you know, time is passing. It's now Indian summer. And Elspeth believed everything was back to normal. She could talk to Alec normally without her feelings betraying her. You know, she just felt like everything was smoother back to when she first arrived. She could start over Mm -hmm. in her relationship with him and her sister. Yeah. She got a clean slate. One afternoon, she was wishing someone would call, 
But everyone was out doing their own thing. She even, she was so bored. She thought it would have been a good idea for the minister to drop by. (laughs) She wanted something to do. So she went for a walk in the woods and ended up at the stream of water. You know, was kind of just hanging out over there. And then guess who showed up? Her brother-in-law. Yup. Yup. And he sat next to her with some small talk. Uh Mm Uh-huh. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And he made some advances at his sister-in-law. Oh, what do you mean? And she, and she succumbed to his advances. Oh, my goodness. That's what happened. <laughs> That's 1900 mm-hmm. talk for uh, censorship. <laughs> she succumbed to his advances. Succumbed. Mm-hmm. He advanced. She succumbed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they was advancing together. <laughs> That's right. That's what happened, though. Mm. So as after they finished advancing, <laughs> he decided to walk back to the house with Elsa holding on to Alec tightly like they was in a relationship, girl, for real. Mm-hmm. She felt even though she was holding on tightly to Alec, she did feel ashamed and she felt even more ashamed when she saw her sister. But she wanted Alec to walk up um, to walk her up to the house. And speak his love for her and then carry her away. So she living in a fantasy world, of course. And instead, he just gave her the courage. He said, go on up to the house, girl. Go on now. It's going to be all right. We'll talk about this later. And she went on up to the house. And she, when she saw Margaret, she was like, hey, Margaret. And Margaret was like, hey, girl, nice walk. That's what they did. One night in the barn, just after Alquis had left, from milking the last cow because they would now just sneak away and have this barn time. They would be hanging out at the barn. He'd be milking the cows and whatnot. And they would just they would be, be advancing kisses. in the barn with they <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. With they pastime advancing. They was advancing in the barn together. The husband mm-hmm. and the sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. At chatting and advancing. Advancing, advancing right. and chatting. That's what advancing they were doing. Advancing and succumbing. Mm. <laughs> and advancing. Mm. So, Alec and Elsa, they were real comfortable in this barn. You know, this had become their little hiding spot. And while they were speaking passionately about their love, Margaret saw and heard them. We're so horribly lost, Alec. The quality of her voice, the strange far-off wail of anguish under its quietness, brought a startled eh from Alec, and the wish of milk ceased. We're lost. We love each other without right, and we stab Margaret without reason. I rob her of you, you rob her of me. We leave her nothing, and we have nothing ourselves but our love, and that's unclean. The words hung and passed as if someone upstream had stopped dropping pods on the water. Through the dark barn rose the murmur of obscure life, a stamp or the swish of a tail, the low munch of ruminating cows. What do you want to do? Alec asked quietly. I'm selfish, Elspeth said bitterly. The trance had passed and her words stung. I'm selfish, I want you, and I don't want to hurt Margaret. Oh, Alec! Neither of them had heard the steps approaching from the house. Neither of them had seen Margaret's figure darken the opaque square of the door, tight now in each other's arms, Elspeth stammering and passionately clinging. Her words a jargon of passion and desire. They neither saw nor heard the woman who stood stricken and unbreathing in the shadow. When the flame in their blood was hot, Alec drew her to the ladder leading up into the loft and she climbed willingly. 
Then they heard the gasp the shadow gave, the stumble of her feet on the sill, and against the almost dark of the door, they saw her running. Elspeth's hands clawed at the rungs of the ladder. Her legs went numb and she half fell into Alec's arms. Almighty God, Alec said. He held Elspeth tightly, but she slid free and sank on the floor, and her grief came out of her in a long, shuddering moan. In the dark, a cow moved against the forgotten pail, and the clatter of tumbling tin was like an explosion in the hollow barn. Alec made no move to recover it, but stood silently above the vague huddle of Elspeth's dress, while the shadowy interior heaved around them with its murmurous swell of beast sounds. At last, he stooped and lifted the girl to her feet, and his voice was like the voice of one dying in bed after a long illness. We'd best go in and face it now, he said. Part 5 Mm. Margaret ran back to the house. She ran to her room. She had seen too much. She was furious. Do you hear me? Oh, man. And where do you be? She is just devastated. Yeah. She's seen too much. She got this vision replaying in her head of, of her husband and her sister. <sighs> she was devastated. She felt lost. She felt unwanted. Her She lost her husband. She had lost her sister. And she said that was something she could actually bear. But what concerned her most is that they not won't be able to make peace with God. That's what she said. This is her lying to herself. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So she decided she could not forgive them at all. Because she's a holy at woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was no room for her forgiveness. Right. It wasn't going to happen. Nothing could stay the same. Alec could never again be her husband. Elspeth was irrevocably her sister no longer. But guess what, y'all? They stayed in the same house. Okay, so there is a part here where Margaret strips and looks at her body fully naked. And Mm -hmm. this is a woman who never undressed in front of her husband. She she does have a she associates, it seems, nakedness with sin. Um, So she's looking at herself for the first time time fully naked looking at her own body and screaming to herself in the mirror rejected wife rejected wife unwanted 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 wife wife. okay Mm -hmm. so she's internalizing what they did and then saying well as because i'm more pious than them i'll never forgive them and so whatever happens on earth I will be the right one and they will for eternity be in the wrong until they receive their everlasting punishment And that's good. (laughs) This is the best possible outcome. Also, we will continue living under the same house for some reason. Under the same roof. Right. Okay. Because she needed to maintain that that look, that appearance. So everything had to stay the same, just like Alexi. Yeah, like Anna Corinne. Well, I got from her. The author is trying to let us know that wherever she came from, she was without. So when she married this man, he was wealthy um, and she the, the Margaret loves him and he in her his way loves her. He's just a selfish man. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to go back to. Like their parents are dead. They're from another country. Right. And so now they're in the middle of America. And this man represents her prosperity. Also, she's developed the, this community that she it mm-hmm. sounds like this Calvinist community that she has to put on airs for or feels that she needs to. Uh, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm, very. So 
Elspeth, meanwhile, is filled with guilt. She wanted to go to her sister and ask for forgiveness, but she knew no forgiveness was there. Both women are in their rooms grieving, if you will, um, listening for Alec to come, but he never comes. He don't come to nobody's room. He stay in the barn overnight. And when he goes into the house the mm-hmm. next morning, he sees Elspeth coming down the stairs and they just kind of stare at each other, knowing that that's really the last time they're going to be socializing. There will be no more advancing and succumbing. And one thing I loved about <laughs> no, no, this no. part is that the, the bo- both sisters sleep at opposite ends of the hallway upstairs. They're listening for him to come up, not even because they want him, but because he represents everything that's wrong between them now. And if he didn't mm-hmm. exist, their relationship would still be intact. So it's almost like they're wishing for him to like not be there. And they're listening for him with the thought that, man, why are you here? <laughs> you, you ruined everything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Interesting. So anyway, um, the next day when they come down for breakfast and um, Margaret is like calm as a stone, expressionless, gray. When they come down for breakfast, she says in a cold mm. tone, good morning. And then she went about her work. Mm. One November morning, though, she decides she's going to go to Chicago for Christmas shopping for four days. And I feel like, was she testing them here? <laughs> because when she came back. I think so. Well, yeah, while they were gone, Margaret and El, not Margaret, while she, Margaret was gone, Elspeth and Alec hardly saw each other. I think they avoided each other. Um, and she decided she would I not think she, take Margaret this opportunity. saw the tension between them and she knew that putting them alone together would punish them even more because it would make them sit in the sin that they created. There'd be no one around to distract them. They would just have to deal with it, deal with each other. She was trying to punish them in some way by yeah. leaving them alone together, ironically. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, by this point, Elspeth has found out she is pregnant, <gasps> pregnant. Okay. Mm. She found it out, but she decided she was not going to use these four days to tell Alex she was pregnant. She said he will find out soon enough. She said mm. any feelings for him as the father of the nightmare. I was like, Yikes. good grief. Ah. The passion has smothered in the airless prison of guilt. But when Margaret returned, she, when she came home, he came to get her out of the buggy and, you know, helped her out, let her walk. Um, Elspeth was at the door, kind of trying to hide her pregnancy and, you know, be ashamed and humble at the same time. And then when Mm -hmm. she walks past them, she's like, I know they've been together. Margaret was like, I know they have sinned again. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they had not. Then. Right. It's about Christmas time, right? So Christmas here. They had the same Christmas party that they normally have. Again, Margaret is keeping up with appearances. They have this whole big to do. Everybody is the same, same. But this again, they have not at all dealt with the issues that they all face. Not at all. Margaret just determined she's not going right. to forgive them. And, and they could just sit looking at her. So they have this party. After the party is over, mm-hmm. Margaret waits till everybody is away and she brings down the gifts that she brought for everybody. 
Elspeth wastes everybody's away. And then she brings down the gifts that she brought for everybody. <laughs> and then Alec wastes everybody's gone. And he brings down the gifts that he brought for everybody. So they had this hollow Christmas celebration, passing gifts and eating dinner, the stuff they can't really appreciate. And it's just not being true to what's happening in their lives. Insane. And they're together, but they're no longer together. Right. Yeah. Because he never came back to that room again. The room, Margaret's room. Then he's rarely in the house anymore. Yeah. He kind of stays in the barn. Then Margaret mm-hmm. learns that <laughs> Elspeth is pregnant. She found out. And I think she, mm. that left her feeling some type of way, right? So this is what she does. Remember Alquist that we For were talking sure. about who wanted to leave town? Well, she paid him to leave town. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go back to Norway. Here, let me help you out. You can go back to Norway. I'm going to give you this money. Alquist seemed to understand why this was happening, and he was willing to go. The next morning, Margaret told Alec, Alquist was gone. Alec he said he would have went for free if it yeah, would like he spare her and her sister from shame. Mm-hmm. He did say that. You're right. Alec knew that Alquist was gone, but he didn't know why. So Margaret told him it's because Elspeth is having a baby. She didn't say he's having your baby. She said he's having, she's having a baby. And you left me no other choice. And there was only two men dependent on. Oh, and then Alex said, I'm not going to deny my child. He like, I refuse. I'm not going to deny my child. She was like, and she said, oh, oh yes, you, you will. will. <laughs> you absolutely will. <laughs> you absolutely mm-hmm. will. She said, if we're going to be playing this game, if I have to tell this story myself, Alquist will be the father of this child. The child um. Elfat's child was born almost a year to the day when she first arrived from Scotland. So that is a little mm. messy. She wasn't even there long and she got preggers. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so even with the birth of this child, their relationship, the three of them, their relationship remained strained. They, they kept up appearances all around them. They named, they named and christened the child um, Malcolm. And neither Elspeth or Alec went to the christening. Only Margaret took the baby. The child grew up in this cold, emotionless home because Elspeth was didn't see the child as her own, refused to claim it. And of course, Margaret wasn't going to claim it, but they both loved the child. They all loved the child, but they just couldn't show the emotion that the child needed because they had this bitterness between them. I thought this was interesting. And and um, because so the mom, the younger sister, couldn't openly show emotion for the child, love for the child, because it would have been like saying, one, I don't feel sorry for what I did with your husband, Margaret. And two, I don't feel sorry that you can't have children. And I had a child with your husband. So Margaret can't have children, which we find out later on, which adds to this bitterness. Like you accept your sister into your home. You trust her wholeheartedly. Um, And then she has this relationship with your husband that brings forth a child that you can't even have. So the layers of disrespect and hurt that must be on top of Margaret um, all keep the younger sister from showing any emotion to her child openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she um, 
Elspeth actually remembers her sister writing her letters and telling her that she couldn't have a child. And so that makes her even and more And she had ashamed. been pregnant before. So she definitely mm. was trying to. But yeah, now she couldn't at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Margaret had, she had lost the woman that she was before. She used to yeah. be this woman of great style that people would, um, you know, kind of look up to. She was... I don't know what the word is, but she was that woman. Okay. She used to have fashion mm-hmm. magazines coming in from Paris. You know, she was the look. Everybody was coming to her because she was the end all be all. But now she had become this old. Right. Um, because of jealousy and this emptiness and this unforgiving woman. And meanwhile, outside of the house. So she couldn't love the child. And, and again, for her, it was like a sin because she would be if she was to show love for the child she would be accepting their sinful actions and she refused to do so so the only person that was right because they all love the boy in their hearts incredibly Mm -hmm. but they would never show it to him in private or in public except alec the boy's father slash uncle because they set it up so that they were two aunts and an uncle and so he showed the boy love. <laughs> he showed the boy joy. He showed the boy laughter. And when they would they would be outside of the house, he'd show them all of this. And then when they returned to the house, they sink right back in into the mood of the house. And they were going like that. But outside the house, there was joy. There was laughter. When Malcolm turned 14, he went away to boarding school. And one year after Malcolm came back from boarding school, he asked Alec, who he was because he had met a a man named Jim Paxley who called him Alquist. And he said, um, this man called me Alquist. And then also while I'm at it, why is my last name McLeod and not Margaret's name? That's her maiden name. And now Elsfat's name is McLeod. Why is that? Alec reassured him. He said, for one, you are not Alquist. I can guarantee you that. Aquas moved back to Norway before you were born and your name is McLeod because your mother married a man with the last name McLeod. And it's a whole bunch of McLeods in Scotland. And so they told him that there was another sister and she married this man from Scotland who died and the sister died as well. So they just made up a whole family for the child. So he's an orphan being raised by his aunts and uncle. That's what they're telling him. Mm -hmm. So. After that conversation, Alec told Margaret they had better send Malcolm to Chicago for school because here locally they're calling him Alquist. And Margaret was like, for sure, let's get him over there. But he didn't get to go right away. There was a delay because there was an epidemic in the area. And so the schools were closed. So it was early October before he would leave. But two nights before Malcolm was to leave for school, Alec came in for dinner And everybody thought he was drunk and Margaret looking at him. Yeah, finally, he going to show all his sins. He is like drinking and he done made this child all Mm -hmm. in front of the boy. All his sins are finally coming out. Got him. That's what Margaret is thinking. But everybody thinks he's drunk. As Alec came in and sat down, only Malcolm spoke and his ineffectual greeting trailed off into the electric silence. In the lamplight, Alex's face looked ghastly. The eyes ringed darkly and the lips touched faintly with blue. 
Get in a look like a drunkard, said Margaret's hissing mind, and bring it in here for the boy to see. Without a word, in the uncomfortable silence that hung over the table, Alec reached out for the dish Elsa passed, helped himself, and started to put it down. Then, while the eyes of Malcolm were bent in the embarrassment on the food he was eating, while Margaret was burning behind her mask with the old violence that would never down, while Elspeth was rigid with the terror that came upon her when the tension of unspoken and hoarded wrong was in the air, while all three thought him drunk and reacted to that belief. Alec died instantly. The dish dropped to the table. His body fell forward across the corner of the board, tipping it. And as the two women sprang up, Alec slid sideways, pulling the tablecloth and dishes down upon himself. And Malcolm leaped with a strangling cry to his uncle's side. Minnie, running in from the kitchen at the crash, saw Margaret and Elspeth standing stiffly, their mask off now. Margaret's hand against her mouth to stifle a scream. Elspeth whimpering through contorted lips, and before them, the wrecked table and Malcolm bending over his uncle's body. Malcolm's head turned. Help me, he said. With many helping, he carried Alec to the broad leather settee in the parlor, the two aunts trailing like sleepwalkers behind. There, after a frenzied five minutes of feeling for pulse in the stiffening wrist, Malcolm turned abruptly and ran outside. The three women stood silently in the gloomy parlor, and the bleakness of the house seeped upon them as heavy as a black fog. Across the noise of Minnie's crying, the two sisters looked at each other, their eyes meeting frankly for the first time in 18 years. Alec died at the dinner table while being passed a dish of potatoes. He dead. He fell out. <laughs> So what happened to him? Why was, what do you think happened? How he died? Well, he had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. Oh. He had a heart attack. Okay. We'll yeah, go with he that. died instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you think something yeah. else? What did you think? I don't think I he was actually. I just didn't know why they thought um, he was drunk. Uh, yeah, because he wasn't feeling well. Like maybe well. he had a stroke. Maybe he had a stroke and he was speaking strangely or something. Oh, that makes sense. Yep. So either or, either or, he was not well and he looked visibly unwell and he could have had a massive stroke or a massive heart attack at that table. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they ate the potatoes. (laughs) The end. Eh, But there's an epilogue. Oh, (laughs) I'm going to just share the end of the story with y'all. Please. That's where they end the story. That's where they end the story. Did they not? Okay, look. (laughs) Margaret rises to take her spot between Elspeth and Malcolm and the funeral for Alec begins. If you recall at the beginning of the story in the ep- in the prologue, they were getting ready for a funeral. Now we're at the funeral. After the funeral, Malcolm is gloomy. He is isolating himself. He's just not happy and rightly so. His father just died, which he knows to be his uncle. The next morning, he calls his aunt um, to the living room after breakfast and he turns to Elspeth and he says, you are my mother, aren't you? And Uncle Alec was my father, wasn't he? (gasps) The boy knew. The boy knew. Neither sister answered, but Malcolm said he's thought so for a while and he just wants them to he just wants them to tell him. Malcolm said, did my father leave a will? Margaret speaks up and tells him, Alec left you a whole bunch of money so you could have some money. 
Malcolm said, a I'm going to need fortune. that money. Yeah, I'm going to need that money because I'm going to be going away. I'm not going to school because I got to deal with some things, but I'm going to go away and I will write y'all, okay? Bye, mom. <laughs> Bye, Aunt yeah. Margaret. And mm-hmm. Malcolm left. And then the sisters, they looked at each other for like in the eye for the third time since Alex's death. And they were sisters are gone because the cause of their trouble was gone. The guilt and shame and unforgiving, it was all gone. This is the real end. <laughs> Let's take wow. a quick break. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. <laughs> And we're back. So, Kari, what's your final verdict? Would you recommend this book? So, Remembering Laughter was so interesting. First of all, um, this man, Alec, is made to represent the sin that separates both sisters. And to me, that is very much like a, a man overcompensate, a male author overcompensating for his maleness, pinning what happened here all on the man. Truthfully, this was a decision that the little sister made, Ellie, with Alec. You know what I mean? So the way yes, that Alec represents that. what separates these two sisters. Yeah, I didn't. I thought that was, um, you know, uh, good for the story, but not actually how it happens in life. So um, first of all, what would you have done if you were in Margaret's position? Oh, and so this is the only sister I have. Mm-hmm. And she has nowhere to go. She has nowhere to go. And really, you don't have anywhere to go outside of your husband. I was just getting ready to say that. I don't have anywhere to go. But I still think, okay, maybe I would. Listen, let me start by saying you never know what you would do until you're in that situation. So this is is just me expressing myself. And I would like to think I would be forgiving. But do we get to stay in the same house? I don't know, man. That's a lot. That's where the crazy came in and had a seat. Because (laughs) either the first of all, the little sister, even if you don't think you'll be forgiven, you absolutely have to apologize for sleep for sleeping with your sister's husband. You absolutely have to have that talk. Yeah. If you if you grown enough to do what you did, then be grown enough to come to Margaret and say, look, this is what happened. And I'm sorry. And I accept all kinds. You're you're like 23. You're not 12. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. She has grown it. So as Margaret, I would say at that point, even if she didn't come to me, I would have to make the choice to either forgive my sister and leave my husband or forgive my husband and push my sister out of my house with her baby in her so belly what, so would she have to take care of her sister uh yeah i think i could still do that for sure the, the only she thing that's crazy that's wild crazy to me is all of them living in the house together and just being yep, mad it is for 20 is. years <laughs> yeah because what does that serve now this young boy all this wasted time love mm-hmm yeah, you you missing out on your whole life. Yeah, I mean, forgive the husband. It's aging you. Yeah, 
It is. It aged her. She looked young in her eyes. She was a young woman, but she had really aged. She looked like an aged woman. She's described in the book as looking like an aged woman. So yeah, there she right. had to forgive because, like you said, that eighteen years of wasted time. This young boy not getting the love. I mean, at one point in the story, it talks about him. Um, turn around and say goodbye the first time he left for school and he just wanted them to just do something that expressed love and they couldn't even do it not yeah. even wave bye yeah so that is like an emptiness that you're leaving this wave, child with do something yeah because you couldn't sit down and have the conversation about what went wrong or who who's gonna get some of my forgiveness which one of y'all haven't because resolved your issue mm-hmm I could see her raising the child. I could see Margaret raising the child as their own. If indeed she wanted to stay with Alec, they seem to be very affluent. Um, you can send your sister to school so that she can grow roots and start her own life. Um, it would not make sense at that time for her to keep the child. But of course, she could visit the child regularly. And then you just raise that child as your as your own. There's no guarantee that Alec won't be unfaithful again, maybe with another family member, maybe with the sister again. <laughs> that's that's the trade off for having some um, uh, security financially at this time as a woman or you and your sister. I don't know. Leave in another country where you don't go back have to Scotland. Go back to Scotland. No connections right was now. everything back then they needed yeah. that she needed to stay yeah, in so that I would situation say, <laughs> i would say <laughs> alec gonna have him a nice house a nice um room in the barn in that's the barn. his house now <laughs> i'm gonna raise the baby because i ain't never gonna turn my back on nobody's baby now the baby ain't did nothing wrong well i ain't gonna say nobody's baby. but it's the sister so <laughs> that baby family <laughs> that's that's your husband baby just raise that baby okay you ain't going nowhere i'm still gonna go shopping in chicago but this time i'm taking quote unquote my baby and we gonna have a good life and malcolm gonna get everything <laughs> he want because i'm gonna spoil him to death and maybe i'll see my husband twice a year for the parties that i'm gonna have where we gotta pretend to still be in love and my sister <laughs> i'm gonna try to get her started because what about her made her made this the option i would i would really be looking at her crazy like Man, first, first you play with the barn animals all day. <laughs> then I try to get you a boyfriend. And then you have a baby with my husband. What you doing? What's going on? So I would try to get her together. And, you know, but we can't all be in the same house. Just not talking. That's crazy. Not talking. Exactly. No. Not talking. Mm -hmm. So final verdict. This book is, uh, it says a lot uh, without saying it. So there's a lot in the subtext I thought was really well done. Um, you understand the who, what, why of every character in a 130 page book. You understand who Margaret is, why she does what she is and what her future is going to be. You can even guess as to, uh, to what her past looked like. The same for all the characters. I thought that was extremely well done. And I would absolutely recommend this book in a heartbeat, especially for people who don't have time to read. I would. Uh, yeah, I would really recommend it because it's just so short. I would say that there's a racist joke about Native Americans made by a character mm -hmm. in the beginning. And it puts a um, it like puts a wet blanket on the entire story for me. Like it tainted my view of all the characters in a way that was um, unforgivable for characters in a book. It, it, maybe it's to show yeah. how selfish Alec is. Maybe you're not to like Alec. Maybe that's to help you realize that Alec isn't a great guy, but. I don't know. I just felt like that that was unnecessary, that little comment that's made. And I just it really made me not like anyone. But without that, you know, 
I would say I, I definitely recommend it. What about you, Alexis? Would you recommend this book? What's your final verdict? So um, what would you say that he was a likable character in the beginning? Yeah, when they're coming from the train, I like the little um, stories he had, the little fables for the little sister. There's, I have no reason not to like him. I mean, I don't know. There's a comment about how him and his wife make a handsome couple and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, I didn't know how to read that. I don't know. I'm, I'm weary of him, but I don't not like him. I, I think he's Got just it. a bit of a narcissist and narcissists can be charming. Mm-hmm. They are charming a thing with them so yeah i enjoyed mm-hmm. the book i enjoyed it especially because it was an easy read it was um it w- the book was so short and it was just quick and easy to read i did enjoy the characters uh i feel like he was a very likable character in the beginning but then you could see towards as the book drawed on and then he made those advances at the sister that he really became for me a very selfish character and um but i did uh enjoy the book and and he's stifled too right in his life like maybe yeah. there's some pity there's room for pity for him also he's with this British wife who doesn't like to have fun um, right he never even sees her undress and he's like mm-hmm. freer he's a freer type of person so he kind of feels like he's in a cage in his life yeah <sighs> so yeah that so yeah I thought it was a, a great book and I would definitely recommend it to others to read like I said it was um pretty short um, this little find, um, but I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it very much. And what I was going to say is that this is a um, true instance where forgiveness is truly for yourself. Um, she needed to forgive those people. Yeah. So it didn't age her. It didn't make her this, um, um, this unforgiving woman that couldn't show love to others. She now couldn't show love to this child. And they essentially blamed the child for the mistakes of the parents. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. And then she, if she had forgiven, she could move on with her next decision and continue living her life. Not forgiving kept her in, it made her stop living and like start dying, start the process of dying. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. so she, she no longer had things she looked forward to. She was no longer setting goals. She, she just, she wasn't her anymore. She was just someone Mm -hmm. waiting to die. And yeah. Or waiting for that. Um, that wedge judgment. that was between Almighty her and her sister to go away yeah. for her husband to die. Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Alexis, what are we reading next week? Uh, uh, Ted, no, Exhalation by Ted Chain, right? Yep, Exhalation. You got it, girl. Thank you all for listening to Lit Society and stay tuned next week for a deep dive into Exhalation. It's a series of short stories. It's got some sci-fi in there, some fantastical elements. It'll be really fun. And we'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Sanaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We love you too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Until next time, read read something. something.